Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. And I'm Robbie Amell, and I'm in everything on Netflix these days. And I'm caught in a time loop. I'm Caleb. All right. So, obviously, we have the main thing to talk about in terms of goings on in the world. But before we do that, I would just like to mention, in a much lighter note, I have some new glasses today. Uh, my my old glasses were being held together by fishing line, uh, and it, that needed to be replaced like every two weeks or so. So now that I have new glasses, I no longer need to do that. That's cool. Also, my right eye is a lot worse. Uh, it used to be a minus five; it is now a minus six thanks to astigmatism. So I'm um, oh, no, I'm just so happy about my my vision being dog shit. Maybe you should get some LASIK and blast those motherfuckers back into the right shape. Probably. That's that's in my future. But, uh, you know, after Joe Biden gives me money in order to pay off my debts. Yeah. And also after my, my GameStop stock uh, cashes out at a billion dollars and then I can fuck the hedge fund managers over. Game stonk, diamond hands to the moon. I've given us the perfect segue. Let us now talk about the the disaster that is the U.S. stock market. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... <laughs> the last few days have been really exciting. <laughs> exciting? Billionaires are losing money out there. Yeah, people are uh, betting on meme stocks and... Mm-hmm. I guess just fucking over... A hedge fund, which is really, really funny. I agree. And I've understood everything because I I played Animal Crossing New Horizons and traded turnips. So, uh, of course, while everyone was memeing on everything, uh, someone else, uh, mainly me, uh, was upset about the fact that many trading apps shut off trading of certain meme stocks. Like uh, mm-hmm. GameStop, AMC, BlackBerry, Nokia were all like you—you you couldn't trade on uh, Robinhood at the very least uh, for a good portion of time, uh, mainly due to the fact that Robinhood is part funded. I think it's forty percent by Melvin Capital, which uh, mm-hmm. is a massive problem. And the SEC didn't do anything. All the SEC did this week was say, "Hey, you, stop it," uh, and didn't sanction anybody. And I'm very furious because the SEC should be sanctioning the fuck out of Melvin Capital right now. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of don't think that Robin Hood, like once this all shakes out, I don't know that Robin Hood will be able to continue doing business. I don't either. I think the funniest thing that happened was uh, somebody paid to have uh, like a charter flight go around San Francisco hauling a banner that said, suck my nuts, Robin Hood, and circle their headquarters. 
They should have just spent all that money they had on a charter plane with a banner and put it into GameStop instead. <laughs> I don't follow the stock market too much. Like, I don't do any actual trading. So, like, I have a 401k. That's about it. Uh, so, I, I looked at it. My, my, my retirement is fine. So, whoever, our, uh, whoever manages our 401k for my work uh, doesn't invest in GameStop uh, shorts. But, uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I don't know about the stock market. I'm not going to pretend to be a, an expert. I'm just upset that, you know, as per usual, when the bit, when, you know, the little guy loses money, it's all part of the plan. When uh, a few billionaires lose a few billion dollars, uh, and are still more than fine, uh, everybody panics. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that, at the very least, like this is gonna have some very significant like fallout going forward. Like, uh, I don't know. Now they know that we know how to play the fucking game. So let's hope. I hope so much that we can just fuck over the billionaires even more than we already do. I mean, we don't like this. Is I think this is like the first time where the little guy has been able to fuck over billionaires in some way, shape, or form. Like, it's been it's been pretty nice. I actually wouldn't even be mad if it just crashed the entire fucking market, honestly. I don't know. I did see today, I guess now, like, billionaires are freaking out because they think that the, <laughs> the reason that this is happening to them is because we got $600 stimulus checks. That's, like, the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Because, like, no. Like, I had that stimulus check for a month, uh, and I didn't go invest in the stock market. I'm of the opinion, in, in financial senses, that if you have debts to pay, you're better off paying your debts because your debts will accrue at a higher interest rate than you will ever gain. Unless you invested in GameStop when it was at $3 last summer and held it through, like, uh, Friday. Or whenever it was at like four hundred dollars, if you sold, if you bought at three hundred, at three dollars and sold to four hundred, yeah, I mean, you do whatever you want with it, with that kind of investment. Well, like the hedge fund that shorted it is like legally obligated to buy the stocks. Yep. Back at any price. Yep. But like people are under no obligation to sell, so all the fucking meme masters over at Reddit are like, we're not selling it until the price is sixty nine four twenty, which. We all need it. I guess that's good enough. L read about it if you're at all interested. Yeah. It's a big story, so I'm sure most people have probably been paying somewhat attention to it. And if you haven't, just remember, fuck Robinhood and fuck any trading app or company that prevented you from buying, being able to buy certain stocks. Because that is not a free market economy. Also, fuck the rich people, because there's no moral justification for being a billionaire. True. Uh, we'll move from that into what's your swill, I guess. Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! Dan, what do you got uh, guzzling into your gullet? Do you remember that? I do. No one else does, but I do. Pepperidge Farm remembers. So I wanted to find the cheapest beer that I could find. So I go to the 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 supermarket, 
And there in the freezer, se- not the freezer section, like the refrigerated section, uh, there's Dale's Pale Ale, which is at four forty nine. But I've already had Dale's Pale Ale, and I would like something else. So instead, uh, right next to Dale's Pale Ale was uh, Hams with two M's, America's classic premium beer, born in the land of sky blue waters. Brewed in true mm-hmm. family tradition from the purest water and choicest barley, malt, grain, and hops. The notable thing about this thing is that it's uh that Hams Brewing Company is uh from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh and it's not good. It's it definitely tastes like a six pack that I bought for four forty nine. Does it taste like Packer fan sweat? Not enough cheese flavor to it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what about you i'm having i'm having cranberry juice with jameson irish whiskey as i continue my quest to destroy all mini bottles of liquor that i have in my home there you go how is that combination yeah, it's fine it's i don't know i figured it'd be all right because it's basically like the same idea as like a royal flush because that's uh crown royal cranberry and red bull so Okay. That's fine. More cool. All right. Let's get right into some news. Oh, shit, it's mail time. Uh, We got some exciting news about casting for the Sandman adaptation. Mm Mm-hmm. You talk. I have no idea about Sandman at all. Uh, So, this is your area of expertise. Yeah. Um... I'm excited. I um I like Sandman a lot. I definitely recommend it. It's uh Neil Gaiman's graphic novel and it's uh tied to DC Universe. I think the Justice League shows up in some of it. I don't expect any of that to happen in the Netflix adaptation. It'll probably be a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. Um which like I don't know how they're going to handle that because uh Constantine was actually like a big character in the first part. So I don't know if they're just going to be dropping him or like putting in a a stand-in character or what, but mm-hmm. it'd be cool if they brought back Keanu for it, I guess. Uh so we got Tom Sturridge as Dream, the Lord of the Dreaming, the sand the titular Sandman. I thought this was really cool. Gwendolyn Christie uh is playing Lucifer, the Lord of Hell, which like people are saying, "Oh, they're doing a a gender flip." Of Lucifer, that's mm-hmm. no, I uh, like Lucifer is canonically genderless in the Sandman, and uh, they announced a few other characters like uh, Charles Dance is Roderick Burgess, uh, who is uh, a magician who I think he's the one that captures Dream and causes like the the crazy crazy shit that happens in the first part to begin. Okay. Uh, and then Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian, an escaped nightmare. Okay. I'm very, very excited. It was interesting to see Boyd Holbrook back for this because he's done like like I I specifically remember him from like Narcos, and that's kind of like mm-hmm. I guess his big break. And then he did like Logan. He was in We Can Be Heroes. So like, it's weird seeing him coming back to Netflix. Like, I guess, like, he just hasn't broken out in the way he thought he would everywhere else, so. Sure, yeah. Might be insulting Boyd Holbrook. 
regarding his career. Uh, so yeah, Sandman is looking real good. The more I hear about this project, the more excited I get for it. So all well, I really need now is a, a trailer and a release date, which I mean, they're just doing casting. So that's going to be quite a ways off, but 2022 at the earliest. Yep. But, uh, I would expect something on par with the Witcher levels of production value and hype. So, right. Well, I mean, this has been like development hell for years so Mm -hmm. people i think people just want it to come out already i don't know like what the fan base's reaction is gonna be to this mainly because i don't care yeah i really hope they do it justice so but you got like your sweaty nerds who want direct adaptations of stuff and it's like dude direct adaptations of things in books and comic books don't exactly work and right worst netflix adaptation ever well, that'll move us over into Downstream, segment where we talk about uh, not a lot of trailers this week because Netflix only put out four. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! Uh, the first one is Ginny and Georgia, a series. Uh, this is about Harry Potter's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's not correct. Not really. And she, goes to, and she goes to Georgia the country to do magic stuff. Yes. Yeah, and liberates it from the Russians. Mm-hmm. Finding themselves before the truth finds them, Ginny and Georgia arrives Netflix, on Netflix February 24th. Can't talk. Hoping for a fresh start, teenager Ginny and her mother Georgia settle in a new town, but the secrets in Georgia's past may jeopardize their future. This trailer is like, the tone is weird, because mm-hmm. it has like real happy-go-lucky music. And it seems like it's, you know, like Regina George's mom. Like, oh, I'm not a normal mom. I'm the cool mom. I'm but a then hot it, mom. Like, it's still playing the, like, the happy, upbeat music. And then it starts turning into, like, uh, like a Tyler Perry, like, drama thing. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. It looks... You're right. It is totally inconsistent. So, like... It's one of those things where, depending on how they handle both, it could be good or it could be fucking terrible. Like most things. Yeah. I probably won't check this out. Like, I just have no interest, so. That's fair. Uh, I'll see what happens when I press the play something button at some point where I'm really looking for something to watch, but don't know what. Uh, The next one is Crime Scene, The Vanishing at Cecil Hotel. From housing serial killers to untimely deaths, the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles is known to many as LA's deadliest hotel. The latest chapter in the Cecil's dark history involves the mysterious disappearance of a college student, Elisa Lamb. It's a hard name. Uh, This comes out on February 10th. Mm -hmm. What do you think? True crime documentary series. No. Okay. They talk about Richard Ramirez. I assume you'll be watching this. Oh, maybe. I might catch part of it. I still need to finish Night Stalker. Watch it if you want. I originally thought, because I don't know if you remember the Unsolved Mysteries uh, episode where that guy was mysteriously found in a um, in the hotel randomly mm-hmm. for no reason. And I thought this was like referencing that, and it is not. It is referencing something in a completely different part of the country, but I was like, oh, that's weird that there's murder hotels everywhere. 
Yeah, it's kind of a trope. I mean, uh, fucking The Shining, fucking American Horror Story Hotel. It's a thing. Uh, the next trailer is about what happens when uh, uh, a dyslexic person has their prayers answered by dog. It's canine intervention. What? I'm guessing that <laughs> what? really bad joke didn't land for you. What? Huh? Dyslexic dyslexic people pray to dog. Because the title is canine intervention, I... but it's like divine intervention. All right, that's, that's a lot of work for me to get to that. It's a lot. I didn't really I didn't really know if you'd get there. Um that's on me. Uh Canine Intervention follows renowned Oakland dog trainer Jazz Liverett as he runs one of the top dog training facilities in California. Callie Canine works with all breeds and are confident in being able to correct any type of behavior issue. There's no dog they can't help, and they've never turned a dog away. Using his unique training methods and techniques, each episode will feature Jazz as he works with a variety of dogs and their owners to fix their obedience and behavior issues. This is a dog reality show. You like Jazz? Hmm. <laughs> I like the trailer because there's a lot of puppies in it. There's an awful lot of puppies in it. Thank God Ashley was not in the room for this because I would have fucking shot myself with her being like, Look at that puppy! Oh, all these puppies! And I would have like, uh, yeah. I would have just, like, shot myself right there. I don't even have a gun. I would have just produced it from the ether. With my hatred. That's, uh, uh, it looks fine. Interesting superpower. Don't tell the government. I don't want to help them out. Alright, our final trailer is for Buried by the Bernards. This is like Pawn Stars, but, you know, for funeral homes. Uh, in this reality series, follow the Bernards as they manage their unconventional Memphis funeral home with lots of family dramedy and laughter on the side. Embalm stars. Alright, that's pretty good. I don't have to work very hard for that one. It's a reality TV show about a funeral home. And the dad is Jim from The Office, basically, because he stares at the camera more than any other human being on planet Earth. <laughs> I'm not really into any of these trailers. I'm not either. Alright, uh, well let's go into quick hits then. Alright, Caleb. Hit me with it. Because you know you want to. Well, shit. I guess a segment within a segment. Uh, let's engage our warp cores and go over to Caleb Watch's Star Trek. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Caleb, his seven-season mission to explore a strange new fandom, to give up his social life and all his friends, to boldly go where millions of sweaty nerds have gone before. I watched episode 16 through 23 of season 3. So I'm very close to the end of season 3, where the big thing happens. And I'll talk about it when I get there. 
I'm going to talk about episode 16, which is called The Offspring. Uh, this is about Data's child. Maul? Or Lol, that's it. Something uh, like that? Lol was his, or uh, it was uh, Lore. Lore. Lore was his brother, yeah. Oh yeah, Lol is the, the name of the child. So yeah, Data invites Counselor Troy and Wesley Crusher and Jordy LaForge to his lab and uh, introduces them to this weird-looking featureless humanoid android that he created based on his own design. So it's it's his child. Uh, he names it Lol, which is the Hindi word for beloved. Uh, and he kind of leads it around the ship so it can look at different different people and stuff. Uh, and encourages it to select its own gender and appearance, uh, which it ends up being his his daughter, because uh, it chooses a, a female, like human mock up that, like Data made, like ten thousand different possible appearances for it, and that's the one it chose. So rather than just like Data copying his mind and experiences to lol, he's you know, and insistent that like she learns on her own. So she picks all up on stuff really quickly, but like when it comes to like social behavior, she doesn't really get it. Like she sees uh she goes to work at Ten Forward, which is the the bar that Whoopi Goldberg runs on right. the ship. So like she can study human interactions. Uh and she sees two people kissing and Gynan's like yeah, that's what humans do when they share a close bond with each other. And then Riker comes in, having not met Lol yet, uh, and is like, hey, a new a new piece of ass for me to skis on. <laughs> uh, and goes up and orders a drink, and Lol fucking grabs Riker and plants one right on the, right on the old kisser. Uh, and he's like, he's like, oh my. And then uh, Data comes in and sees it, and goes over to Riker and says... Commander Riker, what are your intentions towards my daughter? <laughs> Which is the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> and then, like, it kind of goes through her development, so they're... Like, this is where the really funny gif is of, like, they're playing catch or whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, her motor skills haven't fully developed, so, like, they throw the ball at her, it sails past her head, and then she puts her hand up, and then she looks over to Data, and Data, like does a phony like yeah good job expression i was gonna ask about that gif actually and be like where does that take place does that take place as soon as she's formed basically or what's going on there but yeah that's they kind of do a montage of like her her social development and stuff and that's it's in there with that uh this is a really good episode um there is a starfleet admiral who uh attempts to take lol from the enterprise because like you know, this is a, a new life, like, it's no longer just data, like, it's the beginning of, like, a species propagating itself. Mm-hmm. So they want to evaluate her and try to, I guess, indoctrinate her into the military machine that is Starfleet, which is troubling. But uh, Data insists that she remain on the ship, because, like, it's his child and he cares for her and wants to... Uh, to teach her himself, but right. So like, Lol finds out that this dude's trying to take her, and she's like confused and distraught because she's uh, beginning to experience fear, uh, 
which is something that, you know, data can't experience emotions. Hmm. So this is like a new novel thing that wasn't designed into her. And like, it turns out that there's um, like a cascading failure in her positronic brain that like will eventually kill her. But it's like, it also enables her to like, like feel and like infer things that wouldn't be based completely on like machine logic and stuff. Right. So uh it ends up like Data's not able to to correct the failure. Like like Lol does die, but he like downloads her memories and stuff into his mind so that like she can be with him mm-hmm. basically all the time. And uh it's it's one of those kind of like bittersweet Star Trek endings. Like it's um I don't know. It it kind of gives hope that like maybe one day Data will progress and be more human. Um but also like he he experiences like this tremendous loss, but like he's not able to experience it in the way that a human would and actually mourn for her, so and he mourns her so much that he ha- he gets two daughters eventually. Yeah. See, there are a lot of actually good episodes in this block. Um there's one where like Worf has to go back to the Klingon Empire uh to like restore his family's honor, which is a pretty good one. I love I love the Worf episodes. Worf and Data are still my favorite characters. Right. There's one that I really liked called Captain's Holiday where uh like everybody's saying like Picard's getting too stressed out. So they make him take a a vacation to like this resort planet, mm-hmm. uh, and he ends up like not taking a vacation. There's like hijinks ensue, and he has to solve this mystery and shit. But kind of kind of standard Star Trek fare. Um, let me see if there's any other ones real quick that I want to talk about. Nah, I mean. I mean, that was the best one out of this, so I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, like I said, I'm getting very close to the end of the season. It's like well, the thing two happened. more episodes and then the, the season finale. Hey, here's the question. Is Vanessa expecting anything? Uh, no, they haven't. They haven't alluded to what happens at all yet. Okay. So. Well, that's good. Can't wait to see what she thinks. Yeah. It's like, obviously, the... It ends the season on a cliffhanger, and then, like, part two of that story is the first episode of the fourth season. Mm-hmm. So I might try to stop it after that and, like, kind of let her deal with that for a little bit. I don't know. What did I do that with with Ashley? I did that recently, like, in the last, like, six months with her about a show where it, it ended on a cliffhanger, and we didn't watch it for, like, three or four weeks. I just And I just left her on the fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> trying to remember now but i can't remember so eh, whatever all right uh what did you watch so it was after the show finished recording on sunday which i've now bre- broken the verisimilitude of the show uh yes we record on sunday nights you'll all get over knowing the fact that we do that i was like all right i want to watch something on netflix so i go to netflix and i'm flipping through and i'm like i don't know what the fuck i want to watch and then all of a sudden the play something button came up. So I was like, ah, okay, we'll do that. Hit the play something button. Uh, and that brought me to uh, Lupin, 
So, uh, Girogar nice. Lupin. Uh, that's French for I watched Lupin. Je suis Napoleon. You are Napoleon. So, uh, aside from the fact that I, I remember saying I don't want to watch the show because of how bad the fucking dub for the trailer is, which you were there, you watched the trailer, you also acknowledged that the dub is bad on the trailer. I don't understand how anybody goes, oh yes, this is the trailer we want everyone to see before we put out this this awesome foreign language show. Uh, so aside from that, right. it's actually very good. Uh, I enjoyed myself quite a bit. Omar Sy is fantastic. Uh, he does a lot of good physical acting. Like uh, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Arsene Lupin as a fictional character. I'm not too sure about the anime uh, regarding Lupin the Third. Regardless, uh, so like I have no connection to the character whatsoever. But uh, he, oh, the way Omar Sy portrays himself. Uh, is completely different in every episode. Like he's playing a different character in every episode. Like he'll he's blending in as a billionaire, at or not a billionaire. I'm sorry, uh, a multimillionaire because uh, he only has a net worth of 573 million euros. So he's not a billionaire. Uh, but actually, in American dollars, he might be a, a, a billionaire. I don't know. I haven't done the exchange rate on that. Uh, he portrays like okay. a, a, a tech, an IT guy who has no confidence. So, like, watching him do physical transformations in order to get past people uh, and not assume too much attention on himself is kind of wonderful. Uh, The show is engaging. You know, you basically have to continue watching uh, when you're watching a foreign language show with uh, the original language and then subtitles because you got to be reading unless you're sort of tangentially aware of how French works. So you recognize certain words and you're like, oh, I don't I really don't need it for this part. Okay. I don't know, man. Uh, it's five episodes. They're all about like anywhere from forty-five minutes to an hour apiece. You could do worse with your time. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rate it a four. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and we're getting part two later this year, so I can't wait to check out part two. All right, nice. Uh, and then I was looking for more content, and then I almost hit the play something button, but then I saw Kingdom, uh, the Korean, I guess the feudal Korean zombie series came up. I was like, eh, fuck it. I'll give this a shot. Uh, it's a six-episode season, so... And they're all about an hour apiece as well, so a, a little bit longer than Lupin. And I like it, but I don't like it for the zombie thing, because, like, we're at that point with zombie stuff where it's like, but who's the real monsters? Is it humanity, or is it the zombies? And it's like, everything that has zombies has this fucking trope now. And it's like, guys, we get it. Like, Everyone's been writing a zombie story like this for the entire time. Like, can we can we get some originality in this genre, please? No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the gen- general gist is that uh, the crown prince of this kingdom in Korea is uh, accused of treason by the royal family's uh, queen. Uh, so, like, it's, it's kind of like the Lannisters are... Uh, like so, like the queen is like the youngest daughter of this family. Uh, her dad is basically the 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 king's right hand man. The son is like the commander of the royal guard. So, uh, and they're scheming for a way to ascend the throne. And a, a disease has plagued the countryside where uh, people are turning into zombies that fall asleep during the day, but then 
uh, are out at nighttime for some reason. Uh, no one knows what it is, but it's just what they do. So it's it, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I like the characters, and I sort of like the writing, but like I just I just want people to be. Oh, I'm just so done with the hey humans are monsters and these things are monsters. But who's who's even worse? Is it the thing that can't control themselves and is only trying to survive, or is it the people making these terrible decisions? And it's like, fuck off. But I, I will continue to watch it. Uh, season two. There's a season two. Uh, season three might be out at some point this year, depending on how they fit in filming during the pandemic. Uh, if not, it'll be out probably 2022. Although I think like I think the Asian countries that weren't China. Uh, did a fairly decent job of containing everything. Like, I know Japan did pretty well. I feel like South Korea also did pretty well. So we'll see how that goes. It comes from China. comes from Trump's anus. Um, Yeah, sounds cool. I'm probably short-selling it. If you're somebody who isn't over and tired of the Are the Humans the Real Monsters subplot in any zombie story, you might like this. Okay. Uh, well, why don't we hop into a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into our main review, one of our main reviews, uh, for Ark. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our patrons, Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Nick Haskins, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy De La Rosa, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Duty Dutram, Casey Moore, and Dan's mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at netflixandswill.com slash Patreon. Buy some shit. Visit netflixandswill.com slash merch. Leave a review and tell me how good I'm getting at public speaking. Visit netflixandswill.com slash Apple Podcasts. Thanks for letting us live our dreams of being professional idiots. We now return you to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it's time to get into uh, one of our main view topics for today. On our Groundhog Day spectacular arc. That's right. Uh... Since this came out on Groundhog Day, the joke is that we're talking about movies that deal with time loops. Uh, so Ark is a 2016 action sci-fi thriller movie on Netflix. It's a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Trapped in a lab and stuck in a time loop, a disoriented couple fends off masked raiders while harboring a new energy source that could save humanity. This is written and directed by Tony Elliott. And stars Robbie Amell and your favorite actress, Rachel Taylor. So, I, I only hate her in seasons two and three of <laughs> Jessica Jones, and I think it's because of how she's written. I don't think she... This was the movie, like, because this came out after um season one of Jessica Jones, I believe. I believe that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I've watched... Th- I think so. That seems correct. Because I remember watching Jessica Jones for our Marvel episode, which was episode three of the podcast. Uh, and if you're, in case you guys are wondering, this came out uh, and we reviewed it on the podcast in episode nine. So we've already talked about this movie, but that's okay because that's the whole point behind this fucking gimmick. 
That's right, Dan. Um, what did you think on a revisit? Does this hold up? Does this has your opinion changed? Do you remember your opinion? I don't remember my opinion, but I feel like uh, me back then was probably a little bit more appreciative of it then than I am now. I'm not going to say it doesn't hold up, but uh, ultimately, but there's been a lot bigger and better action blockbusters on netflix since then yeah and also i don't know why they're calling this an action blockbuster or an action an action movie well, at all because like i guess yeah it's it's got action sequences but it's not right yeah. the the sci-fi thriller sure uh, i'll buy the thriller part like because there are some thrills chills and spills along the way uh, including a lot of blood whole pulls of it it's it's fine it's not amazing it's uh, a, a very, I don't, I don't want to call it generic because, like, it is interesting what they're doing. But I don't think it's done well enough. I, like, I don't think the, I don't think Tony Elliott is the correct person to be helming this thing. Uh, despite the fact that he wrote and directed it. Because I don't, I feel like those are probably two of the weaker parts of the movie. Or the writing and uh, direction. Okay. But I'll leave my thoughts for there for now. What do you think? And same questions. Everything you asked me, if you remembered your opinion, like how's it changed, blah blah blah. I th- I feel like I probably was pretty pretty all right with this back in the day. Um, I do feel like this held up quite a bit better than I was expecting it to. Honestly, okay. I don't know. It's just uh, it's an interesting premise. It's an interesting spin on the the time travel gimmick. I guess. Um. Yeah, I can't really I can't really remember any other films that are really this exact premise. Like it's kind of like uh look and feel, it's kind of like the platform, but it's like instead of being trapped in a really tall building, they're trapped in a time loop. Right. If that makes sense. Right, right, sure. Like it's uh every every setting it, like the the setting is the same no matter what, like even like the yep. platform is, you know, a vertical prison, but like all the cells are exactly the same. So yeah, all they just <laughs> they, dire- they built one, they built one room for the set and just kind of moved some shit around. Right. Um. So yeah, I actually, I actually like this. I would, I would still recommend this. I think I would recommend it too, considering the fact that like, it's Robbie Amell in not a comedy. Like I don't think. Because I think of Robbie Mel now, and we're going to talk about him again later with When We First Met, but, like, mostly on Netflix, he's doing a lot of comedies. Like, he's in this, he's in uh, the Babysitter stuff. So, like, mm-hmm. I think of Robbie Mel as funny guy now, and not, like, potential action lead Robbie Mel. Whereas I think of him as uh shitty, forgettable superhero Firestorm from the CW uh dc universe stuff that sure that's i think the first thing i ever saw him in uh i i didn't see him in that because i watched one episode of arrow and just went no this is this is terrible as is everything on cw yeah it's probably better to just get while the getting's good on that uh let's do let's do a quick plot breakdown i guess sure so the the titular arc is a 
like an electrical generator, basically. And it's it's supposed to be a perpetual motion machine. You finally cracked it. Uh, mm-hmm. Unlimited free energy pulled from, you know, somewhere. Quantum entanglement or whatever. It doesn't really explain. Right. It's just like, hey, it produces its own electricity. And it never, like, it. the, the fuel cells power the arc, which then fuels uh, powers the fuel cells. It's the general gist yep. of how it works, and they don't really explain it. Yeah, and they don't really need to for, you know, like, they explain it enough for me to buy into the core concept. Right. Um, I feel like with a lot of modern sci-fi, people are now being like, but that's not how the science works. And it's like, do we really care? Like, it's science fiction. Like, it doesn't matter if the premise doesn't, like, if the thing doesn't work the way science says it would work. Like, all that matters is it works within its own construction for the narrative of the of the movie. Right. And that's why I think I like this, because, like, this feels like a classic bit of science fiction from, like, the 60s or whatever. It's like, it's a dystopia, the world's been ruined and it's polluted and you can't breathe the air and stuff. Uh, there's a government that's, like, trying to control everything and, you know, keeping the the poor people down, and then there's a a resistance movement that's trying to tear down the government. So this evil corporation, Taurus, Robbie Amell used to work for them, and he developed the Ark and then stole it so that the military wouldn't use it to basically destroy the world even more. Right. The other thing I really like about this movie a lot is the pacing is quite good. Like the the rate at which they're revealing information, mm-hmm. I thought was uh very good. Like they, this is how you, um, kind of pace your script and reveal things beat by beat. The the big thing I noticed with this is that like they're kind of spoon feeding you information. Like every loop, you are learning new information. Like. The first loop when he uh, immediately dies because he tries to fight back. Uh, right. You know, it, that's where you discover, oh, we're in a loop now. And then it's him coming to the realization that there is a loop and, like, how to interact with said loop. And then, it's you know, uh, Rachel Taylor eventually discovers, like, the ability to remember uh, what's going on in the loops. And we find out what her whole situation is behind this whole thing. And it's really interesting it's somewhat engaging uh I, and i think the big problem and we'll get into this is the kind of alphabet soup that we get with like the block and taurus and all like all this world that isn't hyper well like isn't well explained enough right because because this is also a single location movie right like it all takes place in his house but like i don't understand like what taurus is i don't really understand what the block is i don't understand why the pope has like a seeming position of power in the government although that might just be like what uh, they the call pope something is not the literal pope i think the pope as they referred to because there was like a holographic projection of a, a person they called the pope right. i don't think that it's like the dude in the vatican i think that that's like you know the resistance leader or whatever calls okay. himself the pope Okay. I don't know. Like, there's there's enough for me to get it. Because, like I said, like, if they would have spent 30 minutes of world building before getting into the movie, I would have hated this. Right. Um, But it's like, 
okay, I know enough to say, like, Taurus's evil faceless corporation block is, you know, resistance to that. And then here are a handful of characters. And as they go through, they start to remember that time is looping. Because, like, eventually everybody kind of starts to get it, right. including the bad guys. Inclu- especially the bad guys. When they learn, it becomes very interesting. And that's what, like, the first time it goes through the start of the loop, and the guys don't burst into the bedroom and beat the shit out of him, like, that's a real what-the-fuck moment right. in that, because it's like, well, well, wait a minute, now the thing's not happening, what's going on, so. Right, and then all the, like, they don't do that, you get some gunshots, and you're just like, wait, what the fuck has just happened? And it's like, oh, fuck, somebody remembers. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to what you were saying, like, regarding world building, like, I am ultimately glad that this movie is only 90 minutes because I I felt like they were running thin on what they were supposed to be doing at, after a certain point. Like, whenever they turned back, I guess, uh, do we want to do spoilers for this? I mean, like, we've been saying some stuff, but, like, nothing mega spoilery. I mean, this is a four, almost five-year-old movie now. Yeah, I think we can kind of dance around it a little bit and then do ratings and then do, you know, like a full, uh, a deep dive into like whatever you want to talk about that is like full spoilers. Yeah. So like there's a decision that comes up when they make it that I'm like, okay, I know this is the end. Uh, You've been building to this decision this entire time. Uh, I'm fine with this. Uh, And they leave it on like a very interesting note. But. Like, I feel like when they came that decision, it's like, all right, we've hit every possible scenario that you could possibly run through with this premise. I'm glad you're wrapping it up, because, like, if this went for much longer, I would probably hate this movie. It would just be retreading, yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Like, this is the perfect, like, little bite-sized movie that you can just sit down, have your your mind reasonably blown for an hour and a half, and then just get out. Yeah, you'll think about it a little bit, and then you'll move on. I don't know. I like a good, uh, like a good mindfuck movie every now and then, but like this isn't one that is like a thinker, you know. Like, Mm -hmm. unless you really don't know shit about shit, like you're gonna get it, and you're gonna feel smart for, you know, any time you predict, like, oh, now this is happening, and then it does. The Donnie Darko director's cut. Got it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, but I don't know. I I do relatively like this movie. Uh, I just, like I said, I feel like the script and the direction, mainly the, mainly the, the direction of camera uh, is is not great. Like, the script I can pass, but like the, I think the camera work in particular is fucking terrible. It just, I don't know, I, I guess like it's supposed to feel claustrophobic, but ultimately it just mm-hmm. looks like a guy who who, you know, can't sit straight like he he forgot to take his fucking Adderall. Yeah. I um I feel like there's a lighting issue in the movie. Like I feel like they try to do gritty future by way of making everything very dingy and dirty. Yeah. So there's and there's shit on the windows and it's not even like dirt, it's just like newspaper and stuff. Which like I guess mm-hmm. if he's hiding from Taurus, that kinda makes sense, but Right. Eh. I don't know. It doesn't like I said. It doesn't it's, work for me. It's just enough for you to buy into it, 
and just go along for the ride. So, right. Uh, what would you rate this? Uh, I think I gave it a three the last time, and I'm, I think I'm gonna stick with a three. I don't know. I didn't. I don't. I actually, I do remember because I logged on Letterboxd and it was a three then. So yeah, a three. It's fine. Yeah. I think I'm gonna do three and a half. Like okay. this, this does a lot of work for what it started out with budget wise, and you know, it's pretty good. It's a definite, definite recommend. Yeah. Well, this is this goes back to like the old times where Netflix was doing more, like a lot more indie movies, like indie style mm-hmm. movies, like these lower budget movies. Because you had this. I don't know if you remember Mercy or not, but we had Mercy that came around out around like the same time and like. They were heavily focused on their series. Like, those were, like, big budget, almost blockbustery kind of series. Like, House of Cards, The Get Down, Stranger Things, Daredevil, Jessica Jones. Um, Luke Cage was coming out later that, that year. And the movies just seemed to, like, go by the... Not go by the wayside, but, like, they were all lowery budget. Like, made for probably less than $10 million. I mean, even this was probably made for, like, a million. Like... Rachel Taylor yeah. and Robbie Amell weren't the names they are, and even even Rachel Taylor isn't a name now, but, like, th- this is an era of Netflix I kind of miss, where they would make, like, these smaller budget movies that were from an auteur-y kind of perspective, and now they're just like, hey, we want yeah. a fucking Oscar. Right. It's... I don't know. That really was, like, a golden age of Netflix B-cinema, so... I miss it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Miss, I miss it, too. Not everything was great from that era. Uh, there was a lot of shit, but at least you knew that the the person behind the camera had full control. And now it's just like, I don't know about that anymore. I don't know what's going on with uh, Netflix movie production. This is, this is making me nostalgic. This was a good idea for an episode. Yeah. All right. Is there anything deeper spoilers you want to get into? Yeah, I want to talk about, like, the ending, obviously, of, like, mm-hmm. w- the decision they come to and how they come to it and the fallout from it. So, uh, here's a spoiler warning. Uh, basically, this is, like, the big spoiler. Like, it, everything else is kind of, like, whatever. This is the one thing you don't want to know about if you haven't seen this movie. Thank Let you. me just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, imagine you're in a room. No, no, like... no, 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 I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning. Uh, yeah, yet. but the ending is awesome. So if I could Son just play the... bitch, this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance okay, to see it. Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. And, and that spoiler is that there's more than the nine loops that we see. Which is interesting, and I actually forgot about that coming into this i was like oh shit that's right they were stuck in a million loops or whatever it was yeah like there's loops with inside of loops yeah because the uh because the arc gets shut down for a while and it it causes it to reboot so yeah but it's always interesting that it's always nine loops and then it resets so Mm -hmm. it's like they've been doing this for and the rough math is it's they they've been going for like three like three thousands, hours possibly tens of thousands yeah like they've done it three hours uh, three hours per loop uh nine loops per cycle and then thousands of cycles so every cycle is twenty roughly twenty seven twenty eight hours mm-hmm. so with thousands of cycles that puts them at it, with a thousand it's like 
uh, three years. And that's bare minimum. Yeah. Which, uh, if you think about it, is fucking crazy. Because they even say, like, oh, this petrification ring is where the time loop stops. Like, once you cross this, you're outside of the time loop. Yeah, presumably outside of this, like, the war is already over. And all the people inside think that, like, we have to keep going or whatever. But Yeah. Like, so, like, the... The ending of the movie is both nihilistic and hopeful, if that makes sense. Because, like, there's that, and it's like, oh, maybe... Because, like, neither of, them, neither of them is willing to give up on saving the other. Right. Um. So, like, if one of them dies, the other one will also die and reset the loop. Rather than shut the arc off and end everything. But also, like, we've been here for fucking God knows how long. And probably the world has already decided what was going to happen to it, but we're we're going to keep being stuck in that. But also, despite that being the like the overall like thing that they come to is like, oh, maybe we can't change it or ever get out of it, and we'll just keep going on and on and on. Mm-hmm. At the very end, like the very final scene is them back in bed starting another cycle, and instead of Robbie Amell waking up in a start. Rachel Taylor wakes up with a start, and so it's like, oh, things maybe are different this time. Right. But we don't know, because we've only seen one cycle. Like, we don't know how the mm-hmm. other cycles have gone. Maybe, you know, maybe Robbie Amell wakes up for some of them, maybe Rachel Taylor wakes up for some of them. But, right. like you said, it is hopeful, because, like, oh, it's different now. So maybe there is that possibility that things have changed, and they can fix this. I guess the art, like the loop, starts with uh, the guy touching it and getting shocked by it, right? And like whatever that affects the arc, so that like it's no longer generating infinite power, so the loop lasts as long as it takes for the power cells to deplete, right? And the arc's way of continuing generating power is to reset time back to that point where the loop started. Right. And re like so it's not generating infinite energy anymore. It's using the same energy over and over by going back to a point in time when it had that energy. Yeah, and Robbie Mel explains that and I'm like, oh that makes perfect sense. Like yeah. it, maybe it doesn't actually make perfect sense with real science, but again, this is science fiction and I don't care what the real science says. Yeah, I thought that was just a really cool like twist for how they made that work yeah uh so i mean i don't know you're right it is a very nihilistic but hopeful ending and who knows who knows i don't want to see an arc two like i don't want to ever see like them get out of it. i don't either this is kind of perfect as is yeah i don't want to see them get out of it and then they show up in the world and it's like 50 years later and taurus has already won or whatever like i don't i don't care enough to see that like I, i want i like this very self-contained. Hey, we've built like a little bit of a universe that like has you potentially wanting more and we're going to leave it at that because I'd rather have nothing like some things that I still ask questions about rather than having everything answered and being like, well, fuck that. WandaVision. <laughs> uh, I love you. You're so pretty and smart. Hey, thanks. You too. All right. Uh, well, why don't we cut into a quick break? And when we come back, we'll talk about our second time loop film, uh, When We First Met. 
friends and potential lovers. Have you ever felt so passionately after watching a TV show or a movie but not have a pal to share it with? Allow us the honor of keeping you company with our weekly podcast for your reference with your hosts, Katie and OT. Each episode, we break down our hot takes that you'll either ardently agree or vehemently disagree with, like subs versus dubs. How important is a cohesive narrative? What's with the popularity of the relatable villain? Is it possible to be truly objective in spite of your own experiences? And most importantly, are you getting a clue and which direction is it pointing? Come on now, it's pointing towards for your reference. That's a great reference. If you've got a little room in your rotation for some salacious frivolity, check out for your reference wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, time to get into our second main review topic for the week. When We First Met. When We First Met is a 2018 comedy fantasy romance movie on Netflix. Uh, This is also a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Noah meets Avery at a Halloween party and falls in love, but gets friend-zoned. Three years later, she's engaged to someone else. Noah returns in a time machine to fix things. This is directed by Ari Sandell, uh, written by John Whittington, and stars Adam Devine, Alexandra Daddario, uh, Shelley Henning, and Robbie Amell again. Yeah. But it also... So I want to bring up the cast because this is interesting. So we have Robbie Amell. We have Andrew Bachelor, who also was in The Babysitter. Yep. We have Andrew Bachelor, who was also in The Babysitter. Fuck. Who, there was one other person who was also in The Babysitter. Who was the other person in The Babysitter? Oh! Uh, the know. douchebag boss. Max's douchebag boss at the, at the company. Uh, he's oh, the, yeah. the dad in The Babysitter. So... I was like, wow, two people is a a weird coincidence. Three has to be a pattern. So I looked it up. Three is a pattern. This movie is produced by McGee's production company. Huh. So McGee is an EP on When We First Met, which probably explains why there are three people from The Babysitter in it. Yeah, we've we've brought it up before, but like Netflix stuff, for whatever reason, seems to draw from the same talent pool so yeah i'm not mad about it it's i'm just not either thing. it's just it's just a weird little thing i'm like oh it's andrew bachelor oh it's the midlife crisis dad what is going on <laughs> uh what did you think of when we first met it's cute and it's fun and it's just a, a quick easy watch yeah yeah that's pretty much it uh for, at first, it starts as like an r slash nice guys like like fanfic kind of. I was like, "Hey, look, mm-hmm. this guy's like I got friends with by this girl. Now she's with somebody else. What yeah. do I do?" This like obviously you go back in time. <laughs> this movie believes in the concept of the friend zone, so it's automatically like incel territory. Yeah, <laughs> which like okay, whatever. Like I, I'm glad. Like, ultimately, I'm glad that he comes to the correct conclusion. I don't like that he they break the rule of threes for this. Because, like, he goes back more than three times. Well, comedy comes in sevens, Dan. Well, apparently. Or, <laughs> I mean, like, 
I guess it took a cue from Ark. It was like, oh, they did nine loops. Let's try to do as many loops as we can. And they were like, all right, we hit five. What do we do now? Uh, okay, well, let's end the movie then. I don't know. I liked uh, all of his different Halloween costumes every time he'd show up at the Halloween party again. That was good. All the different, all the different costumes, uh, all signifying his level of tryhard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do plot breakdowns on comedy movies. I don't even, like. I guess it's, it's just japes. It really is. So, like, the general gist is that this ca- this guy gets really drunk at his friend's engagement party, and we spend like ten minutes of like their first night, to, like the first the night they first met, and it's like him having like this, them having this great time. It's Adam Devine and Alexander Daddario, and they're having this great time, and then he leans in for the kiss at the end, and she hugs him, and it's like okay, friend zoned, fine. And he's drinking because, like, he feels like that night he blew it somewhere. So he's regretting it, and he's like, this girl's been so awesome, and I want to date her. So he gets fucked up, he leaves, he goes to this piano, this jazz piano bar they went to on their first night, and uh, he goes into the old photo booth, and the turns out the photo booth, uh, I, I guess so long as you have uh, this, the pictures from that, that night that you want to go back to, uh, we'll take you back to that night. Yeah, doesn't explain it. That's just how it is. Yes. Um, I'm I'm gonna just throw this up there before before we get too deep into it, uh, fellas. If you are upset with a girl because you have been friends with her for years and you're in love with her and she's never shown any interest in you and you're you're upset about it, you're a terrible person. Yes. You are an r slash nice guy. Women don't owe you anything, ever. Like, they don't owe you dates or romantic affection just because you've been really nice to them. It's true. It's a romantic comedy, but it's like a dude's romantic comedy, which is why <laughs> which is why it's so cringe. Right. I don't know. This movie's okay, though, I guess. Yeah, because, like, ultimately... Like I said, he comes to, real- to the realization that, like, sometimes women just aren't into you. Like, there are certain women who you're just not meant to be with. So, at least he comes to that realization. Like, if this movie was just, like, him continuing to go on being an incel, I would be like, okay, so we've learned nothing and we've just placated this horrible stereotype. Meanwhile, it actually develops something that says, like, hey, maybe this person you're pining after isn't who you're supposed to be with. And in the romantic comedy kind of way, uh, oh, there's somebody else who is there the entire time that you should be with instead. Do you want to, like, go through what he does in the different time loops, I guess? Ah, uh, we can. So I guess I guess we'll drop the spoiler thing here. You know, if you want to watch when we first met, uh, despite our lukewarm reception, or our overall lukewarm reception on it, uh, feel free to skip ahead. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening to the show. Let me just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, Imagine you're in a room. No, 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 I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning Uh, yet. Yeah, but the ending is awesome. So if I could just play the ending. Son of a bitch, this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff Uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance to see it. Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. Um, So the first time, Mm -hmm. he just goes back and uses his incredible knowledge of the future to... Uh, manipulate her into, like, 
he does all the. Th- I don't even know how to explain it. Like he takes everything, like and instead of letting an, a natural conversation happen, he's just like, yeah, he's like, I, I can't do my fun costume that made her like think I was funny and wanted to hang out with me. Like I have to dress sexy, so I'm gonna be James Bond. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to, like, say all the shit that she said that night before she says it. Which, like, if anybody did that to me, I would be immediately convinced that they were a time traveler. But. Right. But uh, in this, she thinks he's a stalker. Uh, also because uh, her friend Claire comes home after uh, after the night. And then she's like, hey, this guy was being really weird because he said he knew me, but he didn't know me. And he said he knew you, but yeah, he doesn't know you. Yeah, because he didn't realize he was in time loops yet. Right. Which was kind of funny, like, she, uh, she picks up a potted plant <laughs> and smashes it over his head. Which was fucking awesome. And I don't mean, like, potted plant, like, a little cactus that you would get at, like, a drugstore or something. I mean, it's like a fucking ficus tree that she grabs by the trunk and fucking swings and smashes the pot against his head. It's great. Right. And so that, like, ends his night, and then he returns to the future, or, like, the, I guess the present. And uh, he goes to the engagement party, and they're like, oh, look, it's the stalker again. And then they do the same jape where she yeah. hits him with another ficus. He's back. Like, he yeah. gets- and then Robbie Amell beats the shit out of him. And then he's like, I have he's a bomb. Heard the story. Because I have a bomb. I have a bomb. There's nothing that the yes leads to situation like saying, I have a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously, like, he realizes he fucked up. Goes back and, uh, what's, what was the second one? The second um, one is where he's an asshole. Like, he talks to Max and Max yeah, is like, hey, it's just like be an asshole. His, his friend's like, just be an asshole, but not like, don't go full asshole, be like a soft asshole. So like, he tries, like he disses her and like, just fucking like, negs her constantly. Mm-hmm. But then like. Because this movie hates women. <laughs> it works. She's into it. And they end up hooking up. Uh, so then flash forward. And like he went full asshole. So he's got frosted tips. Yep. And the like, telltale sign. Yeah. And he's just like her booty call. And uh, Robbie Amell's super sad because like. He's smashing her, but like Robbie Amell is actually like actually likes her, right? And wishes he could be with her. So he's the incel. Yeah. And then uh, he's like, "Well, nope, don't like this," and travels back in time again. And this time, in this one, he go he like tries to be super successful. So like, he gets a yeah. job. Like, a real job that isn't at the piano bar. Yeah, he goes and works at Max's company. Right. Yeah, and this is the one where he actually does end up with her and married to her, but it's, like, a comfort thing. So, like, Adam Devine's fat, and she, like, she loves him, but she's not in love with him. Uh, because, you know, th- th- wh- there, she's not meant to be, like, get over it. <laughs> So then he decides that, like, he's got to start putting things right or whatever. And, like, this is also where he realizes that he's he's not supposed to be with Avery. He's supposed to be with Carrie, the friend who smashed a plant over his head. Right. Because nothing says I love you like plant smashing. Yeah. Um, 
Smashing is the cornerstone of any great relationship. Yeah, but like in each loop, it it just ends up like it's not him and Avery. It's like him and her making a connection. Right. So it's like, oh, we were meant to be together the whole time. So I'm going to go into the past and creep on you instead. Um, it's less creepy than the first loop, because in the first loop, he's like directly answering questions. But in this loop, like he's making references to the fact that he knows some information about her, but he's learning more about her. Like, uh, like she's the one that likes jazz and, you know, Seinfeld, you like jazz. And she's like, I am jazz. Yeah, which, uh, I don't know. It's cool because he, he realizes finally, like, I don't know how he didn't pick this up after being friends with Avery for three years, but like. Carrie was the real source of everything that he was interested in Avery for, because, like, right. like, Avery basically, like, like, absorbed her taste in music and, like, knowledge of movies and stuff, and, like, was the one who was into uh, A League of Their Own, uh-huh. which was Avery's costume at the party. And Avery's like, I haven't even so. seen that movie, and I got mad. Yeah, right? But, like, with this loop, like, that's, I feel like that's too much. Like, I feel like this fourth loop was, was too much, man. Like, I don't know how much further plot-wise they could have gone on each, uh, like, each other loop. But, like, I, I when they did this one, it was, just felt like overkill. And, and all he really should have done, like, I guess, I guess in reality he needs this loop to figure out that he needs to let life go the way it has to in order to get to yeah. him and him and Carrie. Yeah, like ultimately the conclusion that the movie makes at the end of it is like the the way it was in the first place was correct. He just needed to not be hung up on his friend so that he could see the potential romantic interest that was right in front of him. And and also it's like uh, rather than like try to go into the past and manipulate things so that they were already together, he just Meets her at the engagement party, and they hit it off and start yeah. dating. Well, the other thing is, like, his uh, Max is like, we we are our mistakes. Like, our mistakes and everything we've been through, all of our experiences, lead us up to who we are now. And so he realizes, oh, who I am now can be somebody who carries into, and is seemingly into carry as it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole movie. Yeah, we did it. Except for the jokes. Right. Because, like, like I said, it's the the comedic beats work um you know this is a comedy movie how the fuck am i supposed to explain the plot of that cuz it's it's a series of japes right and that's that's what i think the thing is is like i feel like this is another movie where it's not super wit- like there are some witty jokes like and so i'll give it points for that but otherwise like it's a comedy built around funny moments and funny actions so like yeah, if you if you talk it through, you'll eventually remember like stuff that happened, and you know, oh, that this is a funny moment, like hit her hitting him with two potted plants. That's funny, but like when you try to explain it to somebody who hasn't seen the movie, it's not that funny. So like, yeah. you either need to see the movie. Rob- Robbie Amell being mopey and sad is funny. Yes, <laughs> Robbie Amell pulling an Adam Devine is funny, but it, when you try to explain it to somebody, it's not funny. Like like, so it's almost like forcing. If people want to be in on it, it's almost forcing them to also watch it 
which I don't know if I'm a big fan of. Like, I feel like the classic comedies, like, you could say some fucking lines from, uh, like, Caddyshack, for instance. Like, gambling's of the eagle at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And then he immediately slices. Like, that's funny. Ro- Ronnie Dangerfield walking through uh, a dance where a bunch of old people are dancing. is like, what is this? The dance of the dead? And then moves on. Like, that's funny. This is like, yeah, uh, this thing happened, and this thing happened, and I promise these are all funny. Yeah, Dan- Dancing Gopher, funny. <laughs> dancing Gopher is funny, though. No, it's not. <laughs> the Gopher is the fucking worst part of that movie. Let's be real. It really is. This movie has a meta score of 36. Oof. I feel like that's low. Like I, I feel like the 6.4 for both movies is right, for the most part. That's the other thing. Ark had like a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that, or 43. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know about those guys. Like, come on. Let's not be assholes here. I spent pretty much the whole uh, movie trying to figure out where I knew Alexandra Daddario from, and it turns out it's nothing. I don't think I've seen her in anything else. Did you see the season one of True Detective? No. Okay. Uh, now I'm going to go through Alexandra Daddario's entire filmography in order to figure out where you know her from as you, as we wrap out the show. I might've seen, I think I did see Texas Chainsaw 3D, but I wouldn't remember her from that. Um, I didn't see Baywatch. I didn't see the Percy Jackson movies. Like she has a very famous sex scene in like True Detective, I want to say. And she's also uh, very, like, either YouTube or Instagram famous at this point. Like, she, like, in an effort to diversify her portfolio, she also uh, is on either of those platforms a lot, doing videos and such. And the internet loves her because of her eyes. And I actually mean her eyes. I'm not referring to what men say in order to say, I'm not looking at your boobs. (laughs) Uh, What would you rate this movie? Uh, two and a half. It's fine. All right, you and Bubby are in sync on that one. Uh, I'm going three. It's fine. It's positively fine. Okay. I had fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. Uh, I mean, I don't think people will know why we would do a, a Groundhog Day special other than the fact that, you know, it's this lands on Groundhog Day. But the other thing is, uh, we went to college and you actually technically also lived around uh, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I never did that in my time in college because I uh, drove through that town every time I went to Clarion, and uh, that town needs taken down a fucking notch or two. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't fucking deserve it. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, Punxy sucks. Punxy fucking sucks. Uh, for for non Pennsylvanians, Punxy is what we call the city of Punxsutawney, where the groundhog lives. It's true. Uh, Caleb, what are we doing next week on the show? Next week, we are doing Malcolm and Marie with our special returning guest host, Colby Mack. Sure are. Uh, and on the back of that, we are doing uh, a Patreon requested review from uh, Bill Sutton yep. of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. So, <laughs> I remember when this first came out, because I watched the shit out of this on Nickelodeon. Jimmy Neutron was a solid series. You had Jimmy Neutron, uh, you had Fairly Odd Parents, and they did the Timmy Jimmy Power Hour, where they had it was a crossover. And Timmy Turner was animated in the style of Jimmy Neutron, and Jimmy Neutron was animated in the style of Timmy Turner. 
and it was kind of cool. I'm sure it's trash now, but at the time, loved it. I don't know. I'll I'll be interested to check this out out because I never watched Jimmy Neutron, but I did watch a lot of Fairly Odd Parents. Those are like their two big animated series at the time that were like pseudo based in reality. Like, yeah, you have a kid who's a boy genius uh, and another kid who has uh, magical powers thanks to Fairy Godparents. Uh, fairy but- Godparents. <laughs> Thank you, Mister Crocker. Uh, <laughs> but like, you never saw a crossover with SpongeBob because like humans talking to uh sea animated sea creatures that can like are anthropomorphic in some way would be ri- too ridiculous yeah at least that's what i always told myself it'd be the tear of the goofy goober god the first spongebob movie was perfect all right tell them stuff dan i was gonna say the the most interesting part about the first spongebob movie is that scarlett johansson is a voice in that movie she was she the, the hot mermaid She's the hot mermaid. Did you see my underwear? <laughs> Did you want to? Oh man. Good times. Alright, uh well as for for where you can find us, you can find us at Netflix and Swill.com. It's your one stop shop for all things Netflix and Swill, including uh our merch page, our Patreon page, where you can uh find links to our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other such links. For listening to our show. Please visit all of them and, and maybe drop and us a review. Us money. Yeah, give us money, either through merch or Patreon. We love you. Yeah. Yeah, hold those GameStop stonks and, uh, you know, give us the profits. Oh my god, could you imagine? <laughs> I just wish that I would have known, you know? Like, if, I feel like everybody says that, but, like, fucking... Reddit user deep fucking value just fucking YOLO'd $40,000 into GameStop in 2019, and now he's worth, like, $23 million. Yeah. Even if you went back so far as, like, the summer, where the, the stock was $4 a share, uh, and sold any time within, like, the last four days, you... The, the return on investment for, like, even $100 is ridiculous like even if you sold it like three hundred dollars a share uh and you had what 25 a share that's uh 296 dollars times uh 25 that's 75 that's 7400 dollars that you just made off of a four dollar fucking stock like what so yeah good good for retail investors Good for those uh, guys. Thank you to Space Weather for the use of our theme song, Bitter, which is how I feel about not buying GameStop. And until next week, this is Caleb saying, keep them diamond hands and hold them stonks. <laughs> <laughs>